So welcome to Relationship Warrior Podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs that are seeking it all across life. And today we've got a very, very special guest, one of our favorite people in the world on relationships. We're very excited about this. So welcome, John Gray. John is the author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. If you haven't heard of that book, you must have been sleeping because <laughs> it is the most well-known book in relationships, I think, in the world. And John has 16 other books on relationships and personal growth. And his wisdom about the inherent differences between men and women, as well as what it takes to build a lasting, loving relationship, has now influenced two generations of men and women and certainly influenced us and our work. With his new book, uh, Beyond Mars and Venus, John has gone into why being a man or woman in today's society is more complex than ever. So despite the changes, men and women remain fundamentally different on a hormonal level. And yet these differences, what these differences mean in an ever-changing world, we're gonna be exploring to John, with John today. John, welcome. Well, th thank you so much. That was such a, a great summary of my new book. Uh, it was fantastically said, very simple and clear. Thank you. My pleasure. So, John, you've had a, a, like a really interesting journey uh, yourself over the years to get to the point where, you know, now you're probably the most recognized uh, expert in the world on relationships. But uh, what Marie and I would like to do today is just jump into, like, where did your journey begin? Because I think it's always fascinating for people, you know, when we get to a point in our lives where we do have mastery over something, where do we come from? So, John, how did it begin? Well, I was born in Houston, Texas. Uh, my mother was from California. My dad was from Oklahoma. But they're, they're really um, not unique Texans. Uh, my mother had an esoteric bookstore, a spiritual bookstore. My dad taught me yoga starting at three, at three years old. You know, wow. we'd have a big family of seven children all doing yoga on a mat together. Long before anybody knew about these things, my parents were very interested, a very yeah. spiritual people. Uh, did a lot of spiritual practices, meditation and yoga and breathing. And you know, that was uh, kind of the norm I grew up in. I'm a regular teenager growing up and uh, very active sex life. I like sex a lot. Uh, so <laughs> hey, you're a guy, John, right? So I'm a guy, I'm a guy. And it was really quite fun in Houston. Uh, we were having a fun time. And then the Beatles came along and um, they had, they had this poster of the Beatles uh, with the Maharishi of Transcendental Meditation. And I got uh, uh, inspired by that because the Beatles were saying, John Lennon was saying, you know, you can get high without having to take drugs. Because when you take drugs, you go high, uh, but you crash down. And yeah. there's always the, the flip side of it when you go too high, particularly when dependent on an external source. So I went off at that point to study. I had hoped to meet the Beatles in India, but they had just left. And, but I was not dissatisfied because meeting the Maharishi, who was the founder of the Transcendental Meditation Movement, was very fulfilling for me, inspiring for me, motivating for me. And so I became uh, his student. I was his personal assistant. I lived with him for nine years. This is the guy wow. who started. Wow started the Transcendental Meditation Movement. I taught his teacher training programs at a certain point. Uh, he was just a, like a father to me, a second father. My dad was there. I had a great relationship with my dad, but it kind of went beyond that when, with uh, the Maharishi. And he took to me, kind of trained me really well. And I was an expert meditator. I still am. I've been doing it 50 years. 
Yes. I love meditation. Us too. Us too. We love it. Yeah, it's a great thing. It's a foundation. And then, so in my 20s, I was actually a celibate monk, a Hindu monk. So wow. uh, it, it's not like I didn't enjoy sex, okay? It was, I took that energy and put it into spirituality, yeah. which really was a, a great foundation because the idea is you learn to find a happiness within without depending upon external sources, particularly. I took it to the extreme. I'm kind of an extremist. Maybe now I'm an extreme moderate person, but, but I really went to that direction for wholeheartedly. Around 28 years old, I experienced a kind of enlightenment, a oneness with my teacher, and I didn't feel the need to look for that anymore. And at the same time, uh, my brother, uh, who was bipolar, my little brother, who was bipolar, now 28 years old or 26 or something like that, he needed help. And I brought him to Switzerland where I was living with the Maharishi at that time. And the meditation didn't really help him that much. And so I felt like, how can I be so happy and fulfilled when my brother's suffering? There was just this compassion and, and, mm -hmm. and even a kind of a guilt, you know, look, I'm having such a great life. What about my little brother? So mm. I, I was motivated to go to California to study psychology, thinking psychology could help his bipolarness. And uh, whereas meditation helped a little, psychology helped a little, it wasn't until later that I found out for many people, extra supplements along the way can make a big difference. But um, so, so when I went to study psychology, that's where I discovered this resistance to accepting differences between men and women. I saw over and over as a counselor, how people kept expecting them to be the same. Yes. And I think one of the gifts of meditation for me and, and going so far that direction of finding inner happiness is you don't really feel so dependent on others to be happy. And so if you're not dependent on others to be happy, you don't have this tendency to want to change other people or judge other people as what's wrong with them. So in my counseling practice, women were extremely curious to me as opposed to not thinking what's wrong with them. It's like, why do they think this way? And <laughs> why would they? And, and you know, I clearly growing up with brothers and being a monk, I understood men, but I understood myself we might say in modern terms with high self-esteem. I thought of myself as quite a loving guy and generous guy and non, very accepting. And, and so I didn't judge men. And when women would misunderstand men, I'd be able to look at it a little differently. Like, what do you think he's thinking right now? And I go, maybe he's not thinking that. Maybe he's thinking something else, what I would be thinking. But along the way, I found that before women could hear how men are different in a more positive way, they needed to be validated for how they look at the world. And a man understanding how they look at the world opened the door for them to go, wow, if he understands me so well, maybe he understands men so well. Because as we've grown as a society, while many women are still different, our requirements for happiness and fulfillment and marriage have dramatically changed. Yes, so great message, point. The message was sort of adapted you know, old traditional skills to more modern skills to meet our modern needs. And that continues to go on. So I've been married to my wife, Bonnie, 33 years. And, and this is a big change happened recently. My wife passed away. Oh, I'm uh, sorry to hear that, John. Yeah, yeah, sorry it's, to hear. Uh, so it's been about six months now. I've been grieving. I'm still in that process of up and down. Um, Absolutely. I miss her deeply and dearly and so forth. But our love is always there. And that's a beautiful thing. I feel she's with me always. She's a true soulmate. Half my life, I've had her in my life. And I guess I want to say briefly, and I'll come back to my messages, 
You know, when your partner dies and you've depended on them for certain things for so long, you don't realize how much you need them and how much you appreciate them sometimes mm -hmm. until they go. Yes. And, um, yeah. I guess That's it's certainly right. up in my heart and, uh, and reviewing all of the little incidents along the way, I could have been so much more kind. Although we get in that place of I want to be right. Yes. And, and, and I have to give myself some credit in that I did realize that, but I wasn't as quick to realize it. I think around 23 years of my marriage, I asked Bonnie how she rated me as a husband. <laughs> and? I, think, I think it was a day of particularly great sex. I said, what do you think of me as a husband? And she yeah. said, she said uh, well, as a father to our children, you're A+. Plus. I can't imagine a better father for our children. And as a husband, you're not perfect, but you've given me the, the greatest gift any woman could ever want. And so I eagerly waited for what is that? And she said, yeah. John, I know that many times or sometimes I can push your buttons. I can say something or do something and it really upsets you a lot. But you, every time for the last 23 years, what you'll do is you'll stop talking, you'll go to your cave, you do some magic, and you always consistently come back out of that cave with more love for me, with more understanding for me, and, and more willingness to be there for each other. And I think it was that process that I went through to come back to love again and again that helped me learn the ideas of men are from Mars, women are from Venus. They weren't written down in any books. These were my own journey working with clients, but also working with my wife. And it's that commitment to finding love again and again that made our marriage wonderful. And, mm. and, and so John, many people start out with that commitment, but because they don't understand our differences, they think, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and it's not working as opposed to, well, let me see what I'm doing. Maybe it doesn't, it works for me, but not for them. Yeah. John, just diving into that, you know, inherent difference there. Do you think uh, now that you've, you know, had all these years of experience and research into this, do you think that there is a, fundamental difference between us in terms of you know how we communicate where like she, she comes to you and you know she's talking to you and and it's up to us guys to come back to her do you think that's like an inherent communication thing that we really have to implement well once we start understanding these new ideas of what's happening in the world which is it half started in the 60s in my experience which is yeah. I'm this guy growing up as a teenager. Now I want to go meditate. I want to find enlightenment. I want to demonstrate from peace. I didn't want to go to Vietnam. I had long hair, beads, boots, belt, buckle, you know, the whole thing. Basically, I want to see that picture, John. I want to see that picture. <laughs> so I, I was leaving masculine, traditional masculine qualities over to what we might say our feminine side. And yeah. you know, dramatic because I was wearing pink shirts. Oh, I wore a pink shirt. I felt liberated, you know, so... And Sorry, John, I'm guilty too. I'm guilty too. So that movement from masculine, what we would call masculine, towards the feminine, it's like a pendulum going back and forth. Yes. And when that pendulum hits the center point, that's balance. It's ecstatic. And then you go too far to the female, it's not so ecstatic. You see, you're out of balance. So the whole idea is to find ways to find that balance. And for women, while we were guys were hippies and doing our thing, getting high, women were busy like support groups to be powerful, independent, make money, not depend on anybody. These are traditional sort of masculine values. And you, that feels ecstatic. If you're way over on the female side, you swing towards your masculine, you find that balance point, there's huge energy release, there's motivation. But 
it's associated with moving to the masculine. So it's very easy to go too far to the masculine, just mm. as it's easy for men to go too far to the more feminine side, which a lot of men don't relate to. Being feminine doesn't mean you're, you're wimpy or whatever. It means that you care more about pleasure and fulfillment and love as opposed to just sacrificing and achieving a goal to support some cause, okay? So becoming more feeling is a big aspect of what's happened to men, but you can get too feeling. And when you're too feeling, arguments can be really, really big in relationships. So back to your pointing out is there's, there's a place where women communicate, and this is my research, which is they will talk about what's bothering them as a way to come back to their female side. It literally, now we know that if you talk about your emotions and your feelings, that what's happening is your body will start producing more feminine hormones and less masculine hormones. And if, you're, <laughs> and, and if you're a man, if you focus on solving a problem rather than talking about the problem, it will increase more masculine hormones. And that feels really good to men because men typically need 10 to 40 or 50 times more masculine hormones, testosterone, than women do to experience well-being. Women need 10 times more estrogen to experience well-being than a man. And to fall in love and to feel that beautiful in love, soulmate, connection, ecstatic feeling that you can have as a woman, it has to double again and become 20 times higher than a man's estrogen levels. So these are biological forces that cause us to attract and come together. So here's a, like a little insight. It turns out women are sharing about feelings. Men are trying to solve feelings and then we get in trouble. That was the basic idea of Men Are From Mars book, which is women often just want to talk and men yes. don't understand that. We think we're helping by saying, oh, don't worry about that. Oh, I'll handle that. Well, you should look at it differently. Well, why didn't you do that? Well, what's the point? Why are you talking about all this? If you don't <laughs> so it was all sort of confusing. And, and this became a bigger issue around the 80s and 90s than it had ever been because women had already been moving to the masculine, the need to just talk to their yes. partner about what's going on in my day, whether it be good or not so good, little details. Men are kind of like, well, if you're telling me about problems, you're expecting me to solve them. And, and literally, if he could solve them, he would feel better as opposed to feeling powerless to solve them. Powerlessness drops testosterone, solving confidence. Oh, you could do this or you could do that. That raises testosterone. But what happens for women is then they don't get a chance to just talk and share and feel connection. Connection is estrogen. So Mars Venus was so helpful, men would just go, wow, I didn't realize that she just needs to talk. Well, I can do that. And well, what do I do? Well, you ask questions, like tell me more and help me understand that better. And what else happened? You know, you just have to ask questions and be present as opposed to trying to immediately change how she feels. And when women could understand that and go, wow, that's true, that is so helpful. Then I could basically help women understand that just as you don't like it, when a man tries to change how you feel, he wants to give you quick fixes to change how you feel. Men don't like it when you try to change what we do. So testosterone is all about doing and solving problems. And so women, I pointed out in Men From Mars that by nature, women have this home improvement committee, okay? And then they focus it on him. It's like the mother side of you always wants to make things better and better and better. So women unknowingly, think they're helping when they're giving men all kinds of updates on how he should behave better and what he could do differently. And we call that unsolicited advice. When she gives yes. advice, go ahead. 
It's almost like I can make a better man out of you. Well, yeah. And, and you know, the truth is she can make a better man out of you. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we have the power through love to bring out the best in our partner. But paradoxically, the way you bring out the best in a man is by not giving him advice unless he asks for it. Then he wants to be better. But if you give a man unsolicited advice, it to various degrees can come across as criticism. What? What I'm doing is not good enough? What I'm doing is not good enough? Well, my ways work for me. Why is your way suddenly better? So there's a lot of tension that can develop unnecessarily if women withhold advice or if they feel like they really need to, to say, hey, you know, I have a suggestion. Would it be okay for me to tell you? Just soften up about it as opposed to, well, you should do this and you should do that. Well, why would you do this? And another little communication insight is women often give advice indirectly because they can sense giving advice to some men just doesn't work. So they give it indirectly by asking questions. Well, why would you do that? And you think that's really the best idea, but where were you and why couldn't you do that? And why didn't you? These kind of questions as well, interrogating them, they have what's called rhetorical question. They have implied messages. Yes. And I remember the journey of trying to convince my wife about these um, implied messages. We started with our kids because she would go in the kid's room and she'd say, why is this room a mess? And I'd say, honey, I know you're just asking a question, but really it comes across as criticism because you're kind of implying in the tone of your voice, there's no good reason why this room is a mess. You know, you can, <laughs> so it's a way of not uh, owning up to the critical tone and the critical message by just going, well, why, what, when, it's indirect, but that has a bigger impact on men. So the key for creating transformation is always to come from love, acceptance, trying to, for men to try to understand women, and that helps you if you'll empathy, that will help you to connect with her. And for women to practice acceptance, just accept the way he is. Your job isn't to change a man. If you give him acceptance, then he wants to change. It's literally the paradox is if you try to change him, he'll resist. If you stop trying to change him, he will have so much more. He will feel loved. Just accept me the way I am. When a man feels loved, it's fueling him to now feel greater desire and motivation to please and support you, as well as to sacrifice. That's the most amazing thing. I remember, oh, I think it was the first year of my marriage with Bonnie and she was like, well, we should do this. And it was like, it was so rigid. It like didn't include me at all. And I was, a button got pushed and I just shut down. And then, then she softened. It was like some magical power, she said. But you know, if it doesn't work for you that way, it, it's okay with me. I would just like it this way, but you know, I love you too. So we have to look at your way as well. Just when she softened by accepting that I had a different point of view, wow, I immediately shifted and said, no, 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 we can do it your way. It's men need to feel in control of themselves and women need to feel in control of themselves. And that is sort of the whole new shift in the paradigm of relationships today, which is love means freedom. I embrace you. I seek mm -hmm. to support you, not change you. Because trying to change someone always creates a greater resistance. So as so John, do, do you think now, you know, like in the, you know, 2019, things have changed dramatically for, for couples. So I, I know from our own research, you know, the divorce rate was like 10% before World War I and World War II. Afterwards, it, it quadrupled to 40%, hit the 60s, went to 50%. 
And now if you take into account the millennials who aren't even bothering to get married anymore, like there are huge changes. And I know, you know, that was one of the reasons that you wrote your new book beyond, um, you know, Mars and Venus to, to look at these changes that have happened. But, you know, it certainly seems to us that the fundamental differences between us is really what's important. And, and we see so many people now, certainly the millennial generation, you know, struggling to make sense of relationships in this world now where we've got this almost cultural thing that we're the same. Yeah, it's come back again. It's pushed back. Um, you know, Minna from Mars was sort of leading that awareness and I was out there and it was literally around 2002, there was a huge amount of pushback against it. Yeah. It's when we started looking at I remember I was starting to bring forth to the public. I popularized a lot of the research which was out there, uh, which in the beginning was highly controversial. And then they saw that there were actually brain differences between men and women. And that makes more solid the mm. whole idea that really we are different and we need to understand those differences. And it doesn't mean to be different, doesn't mean one's better than the other. Yeah. Uh, those who don't like to hear about differences always think we're, the motive is to push yeah. women down or to push men down as one is better than the other as opposed to just different. You know, you've got all your kids, you love them, they're all talented in different ways, but they're so different. Yes. Well, this thing happens with general themes about men and general themes about women. But what's very confusing, if I was to say, like in Men Are From Mars, that quite often women will feel stressed during the day, they wanna just talk about their day and have somebody listen. Well, if you're a man and you haven't strengthened your masculine hormones, okay, your, your biology as men, you can easily shift over to your female hormones and talk about your day and drive your partner crazy. And then she says, I don't wanna talk because if I talk, he talks more. And now you've just cut across <laughs> a, a, a very important thing of how to connect. Because if, if a man is listening more than he's talking, he's actually generating more masculine energies. But let no, me- That's a great point, John. And that's a really, really good point. I think a lot of men like miss that because you know, certainly in our work, we see a lot of men do exactly that. Like they're, they're over talking and it's almost like you know, they've switched into the five language centers that a woman has and they're talking way too much. Oh, way, way too much. And you, uh, it's, you know, men are kind of like about um, transaction. I do something, you do something for me, all right? So if you're gonna talk so much, then I should be able to talk so much. And then if you complain so much, then I get to complain so much. And there's no communication at that point. So if we understand gender differences, and I'll, I'll just take a step back to finish the thought on brain differences. Yeah. Suddenly then a whole bunch of books came out and said the brain differences were a hoax and that this was junk science. And now they've got their big debates going. So I left the whole idea, although I wrote books on it, the brain differences between men and women, when this pushback started to happen, then I went to something they can't be pushed back on. And that's hormones. Hormones, everybody knows in the medical field, you go get your hormones tested, you'll see, well, men need to be in this range and women need to be in this range. If a man, so here's a little bit about hormones and masculine and feminine energy. If a man has healthy levels of testosterone, it's generally 30, 10 to 30 times more testosterone than a woman. For some men, it needs to be 50 times more. We have our own biological set points of our healthy level of testosterone. If you're at a healthy level of testosterone, the symptoms are positive feelings. If your testosterone levels start going down, these are the symptoms of low testosterone in men, and this is measurable. 
irritability, yes. grumpiness, rigidity, <laughs> selfishness, as opposed to selflessness, which is high testosterone, anger, argumentative, defensiveness, all occurs, the anger part occurs when men's testosterone actually is going down and estrogen is going up. Estrogen is a female hormone. Women need 10 times more in order to feel well-being. If a man was to have 10 times more estrogen than an average woman and low testosterone, he will become angry and aggressive and cruel and mean. Now, this is a whole new awareness. Most people always associate men's aggression, uh, meanness in men, uh, detachment and coldness within men with testosterone. But actually, the research has now been proven that men only become aggressive, angry, irritable, mean, thoughtless, selfish when their estrogen, the female hormone, is too high and the masculine hormone is too low. Whoa, is this interesting or not? Changes Absolutely. everything around, turns everything upside down. So then what you have is a new awareness of, okay, well, if you want a man to behave in a loving way, what do you need to do? You need to communicate and behave in a way that supports his testosterone production. He needs, to be, he needs to communicate and behave in a way that supports his own testosterone production. Well, what lowers testosterone and increases estrogen is talking about negative emotions. Boom. What increases estrogen in both men and women is talking about negative emotions. So if women's stress level, women's stress level goes high, her estrogen goes down. Her estrogen is essential for women to feel love, to feel pleasure, to feel safe. All these things are about estrogen production in women. They require higher levels of estrogen for well-being. If a woman is depressed, she will have low estrogen. If a woman is low estrogen and high, higher than, not higher than men, but higher than average women with testosterone, she will experience feelings of overwhelm. What we see today, and I'm sure you've seen as, as coaches and therapists or whatever, is women come into my office almost always feeling overwhelmed, too much to do, not enough time, can't relax, don't sleep well, all kinds of these challenges of a busy, busy brain causing stress. That is the number one symptom of a woman's brain being too far on the male side, solving problems, solving problems, have to solve problems. What we problems. say, John, is you know, we, I find constantly women being everything to everybody. Yep, and, it's, that's it. and it's epidemic. It's mm. epidemic. And they're exhausted. And it's not that women have never had and shouldn't have their male side. What's happening today is if you're, if you're in the mode of earning money, that's action for a result you're in your, more of your testosterone energy. And if you're in a stressful testosterone situation where you're challenged, and your testosterone level's going up, at those times, your estrogen level is not being supported. There's a dynamic, a woman can be president, she can be passing, you know, she can be a fighter pilot, she can be anything a man can be, yes. and not be out of balance if in her life, while she's making testosterone, solving problems, facing challenges, facing risks, danger, emergency, all that stuff of our modern life, speed of life yeah. speeding up, is when she's on her male side, if she can anticipate time to go to her female side. That's all it takes, is the anticipation of having the opportunity to nurture her female side. Then with anticipation of that, 
she's actually making those estrogen hormones while she's making testosterone. So that is possible. Yeah, and to do that, she needs time out, time alone, you know, time to meditate, time to go for a walk, time to go to the beach. Um, that, that, and, often, and often women um, leave themselves last, so they won't do that. Yeah, and John, you know, your point there, it's really interesting. Because of your background in research, you know, you've been able to get down to a, a method that is actually quite simple. Like the strategies that come out of that to make a marriage work are actually quite simple. So one of the other things that you've looked into- Can I emphasize what you said? Because if you don't have this understanding yes. of this difference, you're not gonna go to all these other new methods that we can use that you'll just feel like, well, that's not fair. Well, that's not fair. For example, if a yes, woman's like John, that, sorry, to jump in there too, it's like, um, you know, that message that comes out of our culture hides that truth that you've been able to discover about the differences in us. And it's only in, in like researching this and, and finding that information that you can come to the strategies that, you know, you've been able to develop to make it simple, in fact, to have a relationship that lasts literally a lifetime. That's what we want. And that's many people want that. And it's not just a relationship that lasts a lifetime. It's what is really tearing relationships apart today or why the younger generation doesn't even make that commitment for a lifetime marriage. And that is primarily the lack of passion. The, there's a the connection. We as a modern people want more passion than previous generations. Yeah. Why? Because passion is that place where male and female come into balance within ourselves. And once you experience that, which we all have in living in our modern world, this fluctuation back and forth, your brain goes, that's what I want. So it's like a new goal. And generally when you have a new relationship, you get a glimpse of what that passion is like. And it's artificial because it has to do with newness, okay, and challenge. The newness and challenge of a relationship bumps up dopamine levels higher than normal. And in yep. men, that increases testosterone higher than normal. And in women, it increases estrogen higher than normal. And so what happens is just by fact that we're being intimate, sharing more of ourselves in a new relationship, you will get, in a sense, free hormonal balance. But once familiarity sets in, that's gonna produce serotonin. That's comfortable. You know, you become comfortable with your partner. Once you have that comfort level, serotonin balances dopamine from going too high. So now your, your passion is not automatic. You're comfortable with each other, you can be friends with each other, but there's no excitement. The sex is not what it was in the beginning. The, the pleasure, the fulfillment, the, the, that drive to have sex even, it becomes less and less and less. But also just the interest in your partner, your capacity to see them as handsome or beautiful, all those qualities come when you get this balance of male-female that happens in the beginning due to the high dopamine levels. Then when familiarity sets in, you don't have that excitement. What can sustain that excitement? Well, one of the key things to sustain it is polarity. There's such a thing as polarity. Opposites attract on a physical level. So mm. when a woman is experiencing feminine feelings, a man experiences masculine feelings, there will be a strong attraction, which isn't dependent upon newness. So for me, I had a great sex life for 33 years with my wife till she passed because of the polarity where she would work to maintain the hormonal balance in herself without taking hormones, but to find it within herself. And I would work to find the testosterone balance for me. 
And of course, as human beings, we're never perfect. So if I go out of balance, what are the signs of that? Well, this, this new model gives clarity. If I'm feeling grumpy, irritable, angry, then I know right now I'm out of balance. I'm way on my female side, how to come back to my male side. Oh, stop talking. That's the number one thing for men to come back to the male side. Stop talking. What's that? That's interesting. Like that's, that's a really good, you know, for people that are looking, okay, how do I implement this strategy? That's a really good indicator of going, okay, if the guy's talking too much, that's where you're at. And then they go into whinging, oh, that's not fair. Yes. <laughs> going to complaining about you, of course. <laughs> well, the, dy- the dynamic is women need to put it in a kind of a understanding is the idea of complaining. Now, complaining is one way you can share your feelings. And therefore, theoretically and generally, until men became so feminine, women would typically complain more. If you talk to most men who've been married, you know, what's the problem? My wife complains too much. Yes. And what a man will often say is, I'll say, well, what about you? He says, how many problems do you have? He says, you know, just one. If she would stop complaining and forget these problems she focuses on, we'd all be happy. So yeah. that, is a, that is a common experience. I'll just put it that way. So I go, why is that common experience there? And why is it that 90% of people who go to therapists are women? Because a therapist is trained to listen, to listen to her talk about problems and feelings and emotions and empathize. And suddenly women would feel better. And I saw this in my own counseling practice. It was really pretty much of the whole development of Men Are From Mars is I was... Uh, practicing not solving problems because women are always saying, you know, I don't want them to fix me. Don't tell me this. Don't tell me this. So I practice just asking questions. Help me understand it better. Let's go deeper into that. When did that come from? Where do you feel that? So going into her without trying to change her. And what would happen is they would leave my office happy and to a man, but you didn't change anything in your life. (laughs) Nothing has changed. And now you are happy. So I saw that at that point, it was when women can talk about authentic feelings just there's levels of talking there's the talking where it's just what happened but then there's the talking about how that made you feel and then they go a little deeper the emotional to feel the emotion of that discomfort whatever it is there would be a release because on an emotional level i can fully empathize with a woman and this is why emotions are so key for women to be in touch with emotions is that my wife could say oh there was so much traffic on the bridge and to me, that's just an opportunity to go through the traffic faster. Okay, so it's not a stressful thing for me. I'm a really good driver. But yeah. for her, it's a very stressful thing. So intellectually, I can't fully empathize with her. I don't have her mindset. But if she expresses an emotion of it, I was so disappointed. I was late for the appointment. It was frustrating. All these people passing me, they drive like you. <laughs> I can relate. I can relate to frustration. I can relate to emotions. All human beings, male, female, we relate to emotions. So to get more out of the story, you start with the story and get more to where she feels an emotion. And as a therapist, that's why I had so many women clients come to me is that I could bring the story to the emotions. I could then fully connect emotion to emotion with a little empathy and she'd feel better. So biologically, what is happening at that moment? Well, when women feel heard, seen, touched, empathized with, connected to, estrogen gets produced. And when women feel alone, estrogen doesn't get produced. And estrogen is the feel good, uh, love feeling. So, you know, when you look at a lot of women today, they come to me and they say, you know, I can't fall in love. I can't fall in love. And their mind will just look at all the things that are wrong with the men. 
And even some men, everything's okay with the men, but they don't fall in love. And I explained to them to fall in love, you have to have estrogen. Estrogen is that feeling of love, connection. And if you go a little deeper with it, it's where you feel I need someone. And that's the antithesis of independence, which is I don't need anybody. So independence is more of a testosterone uh, uh, attitude that goes with testosterone. Look what I can do, look what I accomplished, look who I am, look what, how fast I can go. It's all about not depending on others. Whereas estrogen, for example, will dramatically go up when a woman's pregnant because she now depends on others to take care of her. She has got a baby. That sense of dependent, I need help. And that helps women to generate the estrogen. So what's happened and on a big social scale is women used to feel we need men. <laughs> and, and it's only if you feel need that estrogen gets produced and estrogen getting produced makes you, allows you to feel love in your heart. So estrogen is the doorway to love for women. When women want to have sex with a man, we'll just turn the thing for a second, that's when men feel loved. Sex is the greatest message to a man that he is loved. Women say, why is my husband pulled away from me? I go, are you enjoying sex? And he, it's just, if he's not experiencing her wanting him sexually, his heart can't fully open. But if she doesn't allow herself to be vulnerable, yes. he can't, the vulnerability is the estrogen hormone. She has to be in touch with that part of her where she feels, I need this man. If she can't feel, I need this man, estrogen doesn't get produced. And all throughout the day, you're in a place of, I, don't, I have to do it myself. I have to do it myself. There's no time for me. I've got to take care of everybody else. And it's me, 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 have to do it all as opposed to, oh, I have someone to do it for me. And we're not talking about becoming the traditional uh, wife who's totally dependent on her husband. What we're talking about, and this is a, a, a foundation for a whole new list of little things you can do, is the recognition that, well, if women don't need men as much for providing financial support and security, if they don't need them that much for that, what do we, what, what are we needed for? Because yeah. that's the big testosterone booster in me. Like, what does she want me for? Now, in my marriage, the great thing is that my wife clearly told me that sex was the best part of our marriage. So if without me, she's going to miss out on that. <laughs> that was such a testosterone booster. I grew in, into my 60s, it was 66 or 67, I had them tested. It was 50% higher than when I was a young man, primarily because I knew my wife wanted me, needed me for something that she could not give herself. But before you get to that place, you have to recognize for women to open up, if they don't need a man for money and, and security, what do you need a man primarily for? Emotional fulfillment. So she needs to look to her relationship for safety, same role as men always had, for the safety to be emotionally vulnerable. And he cannot make you emotionally vulnerable. This is where women have to practice learning how to be emotionally vulnerable. You can't just go, gee, my husband, has to do this and this and this before I can be emotionally vulnerable. That's her job. Her yeah. job is to be emotionally vulnerable. Then his job is to take her from uh, 10 times more estrogen, which is emotionally vulnerable, to 20 times more estrogen, which is orgasmic. That's our main role in this modern okay. relationship, soulmate relationship. You, can, you get all kinds of emotional support everywhere else in your life, but in a monogamous marriage, your partner becomes special. She only lets you do that to her. And so you are the hero that can do it. 
but men have to learn how to do it. Women have to learn how to open up to allow him to do that for her. So it's, a, it's still the interdependence, but it comes to an emotional level and then a sexual level. And I think, John, marriage nowadays can get a hard rap. And what we've noticed going to America, the polyamory relationships. And um, so what would you say to those people? I would say, I, you know, I live in Mill Valley, Cal Marin yeah. County, the birthplace of polyamorous. Yeah, no, we, we came across it a lot over there. So uh, maybe it's not the birthplace. It's where I first found yeah. out about it. Okay. So my wife and I were monogamous. And... I have friends who are polyamorous. And if a client came to me and said, you know, we just don't have a good sex life. We're just not turned on to each other. And we have children. Uh, what do you think? I say, you know, that's a choice you make. But when you're married and you have kids, you have to make, you, you can't make decisions for yourself. You've got to make decisions for your children as well. Yeah. And so I have many friends who basically stop being turned on to their partners and they have other partners sexually, but they stay together for their marriage and for their family, and it's very nice for them. So I don't judge this in any way, but what I provide is another option. And the other option is how to improve your communication with your partner, how to improve your sex skills with your partner so that sex gets better and better as you get older. And it does. I mean, for me, it was hours of sex as I got older. I mean, never could even imagine that as a young kid. But it, and not that we did it every day, but if we went on a little getaway, romantic getaway, we're talking two to three hours in the bed having sex. I don't know anybody else who does that personally, but that's because we had advanced relationship skills and then advanced sexual skills. And I'm not saying everybody has to have three hours of sex in the bed. A good half an hour can keep a marriage together. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a whole range you know, of what, what's important. But to me, the thought of ending a marriage because a partner wants to have sex with somebody else is hurting your children. And we need to get over that one because children, and I wrote a whole book on this one called Boy Crisis, how devastating it is for children today to grow up in broken marriages. More and more, it's just filled with half more the book anxiety, is research. More depression. Um, yeah, I mean, statistics yeah. bear it out, John. You know, you can see that children of divorced couples have higher rates of sadness, anxiety, and depression. Yeah, it's a, it's a reality today. And so what will you do as a couple, if your sex life isn't fulfilling you, you make a new agreement to find something that will, and you stay together for the children. And suddenly you might find your passion for each other comes back. And that also has happened. But generally when I work with people, I teach them how their sexual practices are inadequate to sustain yeah. Yeah. The, the polarity and the attraction for a lifetime, because you don't get that free you know, when you're just dating somebody, you've, it's fresh, fresh skin. <laughs> you touch, it's just kind of, whoa, I just yeah. touched something. That, yeah, it's exciting, know, right? And the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah. So, so John, there's a, there's a, again, there's the biological reality to newness. So yes. there's two major things to stimulate dopamine. Well, one is danger, one is newness, and yes. one is sex. And yes. so suddenly you get a dose of that. It's going to bump you to a higher level temporarily. But if yes. you don't have that, and you have good sexual polarity in the bedroom and outside the bedroom, then you can continue a higher level of traction than before. Yeah. So John, you know, you, you experience it, we experience it. Like, you know, most of our clients initially at least are, are women. So we regularly run like an online group uh, for a 21 day challenge in relationships. And 90% of people that sign up for that are, are women. So one of the big questions that comes up is like in relationships, particularly from women, you know, how do you get the guy more interested 
in the relationship and learning these skills, you know, that you're talking about. Because the way we relate it is, it's, it's like any other skill in life. You're good at business, you need to learn skills. You want to get good at um, fitness, there are skills you need to learn. If you want to have a great relationship, there are skills. So in your experience, how do you get the guy more interested in this? Well, the first thing is to be open-minded and recognize that men care just as much about relationships as women do. When women go to the bookstore to look for relationships, they go to John Gray books, okay? And they go to relationship books and your books. Yeah. But when men go to the bookstore, they're still looking for the relationship books, but it's in a different section called how to make money. Because <laughs> the genetic, the genes inside of men, whether we're conscious of it or not, is you drive to make money to provide more for the woman. And we know that as men, uh, women are not gonna be attracted to a guy out of work. Uh, it's one of the basic requirements, although a man can be attracted to a woman out of work. So yeah. th these are real basic things, which is a woman, you know, other, other old fashioned ideas that tend to be true sometimes is women always marry up in terms of financial support, men marry down. And why would that be? You'll see lots of, lots of men ordering wives even, you know, when they have money because these women feel so grateful that he's providing for them. You get a lot of love and that, you know, I look at my, my parents' relationship, at, you know, from the fifties, my dad didn't have to have all these relationship skills. He was just a good provider. He didn't get angry and he wasn't too messy. My mother was an ecstatic because she wasn't, she, she, her basic requirements that she picked a man for were fulfilled without him having to have romantic skills or great sexual skills and all this intimacy stuff and planning dates and doing mind reading. All these things women invent are all attempts to find a new kind of emotional support, whether they're conscious of it or not. And they don't yeah. realize that it's a new kind of support. They think that all the good men always did that stuff. They didn't, you know, Romeo and Juliet only are romantic role models because they died a day after their marriage, okay? <laughs> they would have been like anybody else. They had no passion, no interest in each other, but it was more of a financial arrangement. She makes the babies, he makes the money. To a certain extent, that was a theme. And today we want to be free, a balance of masculine, feminine inside. And part of that is passion. You experience passion when you've got male and female somewhat in balance inside yourself. Uh, as, a, as a creative person, that's the flow. You get into the flow, uh, often your own particular talents or genius. That's when it comes forth is there's this balance. You can look at a lot of the great geniuses in the past and they were very bisexual. Uh, they were very effeminate and they had a male and a female side clearly going on inside of them. And it doesn't mean that you're homosexual if you're in touch with your female. It doesn't mean you're, you're, you know, you're bisexual either. It just means that you can, I mean, those are realities out there, but the reality for most people is we have within ourselves this male and female energies and they need to be balanced according to our body. And if yeah. you have a woman's body, you will be stressed if you're not making enough estrogen and progesterone, which is dependent upon social relationships. And for men, making testosterone is not dependent on social relationships. It's primarily dependent upon confidence and able to solve a problem. That keeps me at a very high testosterone level. Then add to that, great sex, and now you go to a level you cannot achieve on your own, but it's dependent upon love. And I think the world changes big time as people start recognizing our happiness and fulfillment is based upon giving and receiving love. And we can, take, we can say that as a cliche, but it's not people's experience. You know, they're yeah. grasping for this and grasping for this and they're wanting change. And real love does not seek to change someone. It seeks to allow 
to understand, to trust the good in them, to appreciate the efforts. That's what real love is. And marriage and creating a successful marriage is the best gym to develop those muscles. And you know, some people say, why is my marriage difficult? Well, one is you don't have the skills, but mm -hmm. two is it's still gonna be challenging. If you're a man, you wanna build muscles, you don't go into gym and pick light weights. You have to challenge yourself to grow in a certain way. You know, for me, it was uh, a striving to be better throughout my life. And then through marriage, you know, you unknowingly or inadvertently hurt your partner's feelings. You have to first let go of the defensiveness, come back to feeling compassion, and then feel regret, which often we feel temporary guilt. Oh gosh, I did that. I wish I hadn't done that. That then creates a foundation to motivate you. I want to be better. I want to be better. And it's that desire to be better emerges not from always being loved, but sometimes being challenged in your ability to love and then come back to personal responsibility, which I know is a big message you, you teach. We all have to be responsible for our happiness. And you know, I can say to an audience, any audience, how many people believe that we have to first be responsible for our happiness, our inner happiness? Everybody mm -hmm. raises their hand, they have no problem in that. But then suddenly you see them when they're having relationship problems and they're always blaming their partner for hurting happy. <laughs> so it's like, have to wake up and realize and here's a nice little bottom line point i like and, and uh, is our job as men and women is not to make each other happy that's our own job but mm. then when your partner is happy your main job is to make them happier yes. if my wife is not happy i don't get defensive i can just go okay how can i help her but it's not my job i'm just helping out it's really her job but once she gets to a place of happiness it's my job to take her happier and that particularly yes. happens in the bedroom. Yes. Uh, we really need to be skilled lovers as men. We need to be more patient. We need to be more attentive. We need to understand women's biology. We but need to understand what for John, John, I think that's you know, a great message for the guys, that, <laughs> the few guys that are going to be listening to this. And that is, <laughs> I, I get it. That is that, you know, as men, th these skills are essential. If you want to have a, a great life, it's that old saying, you know, a happy wife, happy life. When you can get this portion of your life um, right and happy, then the rest of your life, you know, is, is much easier. It, it makes it easier to become a better producer. It makes it easier. And I know one of the areas that um, you looked a lot into, uh, talking about the, um, the hormones and being able to get that right, is nutrition. You've done a lot of work in that. Oh, oh I, I, want, I love talking about that, but I got to finish what you just pointed out. There's more women listening to this than men. And I just said what men need to do is learn relationship skills, learn particularly sexual skills. Women have to learn sexual skills. The sexual skill that women have, the most important one is never basic. And this kind of goes back to when the feminist revolution started and then everybody threw it out because they really don't have personal responsibility yet in our awareness. It has to grow. A woman's responsibility in this bedroom, and this is her greatest power, is to be sexual. Now, a woman can't be fully sexual, but she can be seductive. She can have a good attitude about sex, an interest in sex, encouragement to sex. So the man really doesn't feel ever rejected sexually where she wears in the bedroom. To just you know, put a little attention into being beautiful and sexual in your activity, even if you're not fully aroused, there's this pre-aroused state that women can be in which is just to find that aroused state. And that's called self-love. Teenage girls all have it. When they walk around in their spandex, you could, they're, pre, they're not actually aroused. They're just pre-aroused. They're just feeling good. That's called self-love. When you were talking about women taking me time, taking time for themselves, taking time to be with their friends, it's those activities that generate 
estrogen up to that happy level. That yes. then causes this pre-arousal state in women so that she's interested in having sex with her partner. She's not repulsed by sex. See, what happens if your estrogen levels are low and a man is showing sexual interest, it, you're often repulsed by it or rejecting it on some level. But actually, yes. if you're honest, it's a repulsion. Women go, ugh, ugh. That's why men don't parade around with uh, no clothes on. You know, you see a penis. <laughs> they probably like to, John, but they don't. <laughs> well, the, the reality is that when a woman is in this pre-aroused state, penises look really good. But when they're not, it's sort of this repulsed feeling because you're not connected to the hormone that appreciate a man's arousal. So you're like an open door to, okay, now the foreplay starts. He needs to know how to do the foreplay. And how does he know? He doesn't know. So that's where women guide him in the bedroom. And that answers the question back to what can women do to bring men more into this whole thing, which is to show the books you're reading, talk about what you're learning briefly, not trying to change him, but you're just owning it. As, I'm learning so much about being a woman and a woman is sensual, a woman is receptive, a woman is about pleasure. So would you help me and give me pleasure? And so that's where you give up your vibrators, women, and you start using him to stimulate you and bring you to a higher level. So it's practicing arousal without orgasm. Many just go close to orgasm and don't orgasm. If you postpone orgasm again and again and again, your arousal level increases more and more. Same thing for men. Just do the arousal part. As soon as arousal goes away, go take a cold shower. Practice extending <laughs> arousal, extending desire, because that's how women start to open up. It's like knocking on heaven's gate. Is you just that desire in men, but men, it needs to be reciprocated from women. And we have no teaching on this. Yeah. Now I can answer the question on, <laughs> as soon as you say to a man, I've read this book and I'm more interested in sex, he'll read the book, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. This I sounds like good. It. This is good. So the, the next thing is when nutrition comes along, many men have low testosterone. One herb I found to be particularly helpful is something called Tonkat Ali. And I don't need to take it at all, but... 15, 18 years ago, my testosterone level was low. It helped me get back into the saddle to where I was then having regular sex. That's A. B is if men are not having regular sex, then have arousal sex and do not ejaculate. Very, very important. Otherwise, too many ejaculations lose. As you get older, you don't get it back as much. So just practice letting yourself not be fully orgasmic. And women practice not being fully orgasmic. Let it build up and occasionally hit that big spot. So the Tonkat Ali will help that. For women, it's busy brain. And also for men, you can have busy brain too. And there's a supplement which is called Super Minerals for Women. And it's, mm -hmm. it's and Super Minerals for Men. Now, you can find this on my website, the explanation of these minerals. But they're your regular minerals, but they're bind, bound to a substance from mother's milk that transports them into the brain to make higher levels of dopamine and serotonin. They will help tremendously to cut the brain repeating itself. One of the substances in there is called lithium. They give that to people with bipolar, but they give toxic doses. So lithium is considered to be a suppressant. It's not only if you take 500 times the dose and right. it never suppresses your brain, it just suppresses your thyroid. So it's just little doses, four and a half milligrams is what goes along with all the other oratic minerals. And that mm -hmm. will stop the brain from looping. One of the best things to free women to enjoy sex is when their mind is not automatically looping again and again yes. and again. Yes. Also, for men who lack focus, uh, if, you, if you focus on 50, 500 milligrams of vitamin C and 300 milligrams of grapeseed extract, these are simple and expensive supplements, 
his mm -hmm. focus will increase, his motivation will increase, it stimulates the production of dopamine. Yeah. There's a variety of supplements that I've seen to help all these issues to increase the passion. And it's something people need to look into. I try to make a doorway into it with very inexpensive supplements that have a big bang for the buck. Because so many people will take vitamins, they don't notice anything. If you don't notice anything from a supplement, don't waste your money And from one point of view. You want to get the things that actually address what's missing. And for men, there tends to be this addiction to high stimulation. And then passion becomes less and less with a real woman. And now I want to throw in one other idea, which is not a popular idea, but it's the reality, is one of the reasons the younger generation today are not able to sustain intimacy and passion, even after the newness, even when they're in the newness stage, yeah. is boys' addiction to pornography. Yes. If you're masturbating every day to pornography, it's like getting a, a, a shot of cocaine. You get a higher level of dopamine stimulation from porn and masturbating to that than actually having sex with a real woman. Because yeah. when you have sex with a real woman, there are mediating hormones like serotonin and oxytocin and progesterone. All these mediating hormones keep the dopamine from going too high, which then causes the brain to go desensitized. So, yeah. you know, many men can say, I'm not turned on, I'm not interested in sex. Uh, or, or actually, let me flip that. Many men who are not having sex with their wives, I say, what, you can't get an erection? He said, no, I have no problem getting erections. I just have to turn on the porn. And yeah. then they can masturbate, but they can't experience that arousal with their partner. That's yeah. because they've Huge. become too dependent. We came across that a lot. Huge. Yeah. And, and so they don't think they have a problem. But if you can't be turned on to a woman that you love, you've got a problem. But hey, I can do it online. Or I can watch that and I can get off. You're just depleting yourself of life force and energy. Your testosterone levels continually to decrease. Yep. Unless and you're destroyed. Like long-term destroying the relationship. It's in increments, but at long-term, creating huge problems there. It does. And I, I don't want to ever sound like, you know, I'm a goody-goody, prudish, uh, judgmental person. I'm explaining well, uh, the biology. It's just, it's just facts, isn't it? That's just the reality of what happens. That's what happens. And if men can understand this, they can suddenly find all kinds of vitality and increased testosterone levels. And even if you're married and you're not feeling passion, and you're not doing pornography, what you can practice doing is every day spend about 20 minutes doing arousal sex where you're not gonna have an orgasm. And then, and only then on the seventh day, ejaculate. So that would be Saturday night, you ejaculate, and then the rest of the week, you do some kind of uh, foreplay, massage, arousal thing where you neither are gonna achieve goal. It's not give up the goal of orgasm, don't have orgasm. That's your goal. We're not going to have an orgasm. We're just going to get aroused and touch each other, even if we're not in the mood. That's another yeah. factor. If you're not in the mood, you do the sexual play together, some kissing, some touching, some skin. Then what happens on the seventh day, you haven't ejaculated, but you're aroused every day to a certain point where you could ejaculate. You become interested in ejaculating. When you ejaculate on the seventh day, you will produce twice as much testosterone. On Saturday, you will have twice as much, and this is proven now, if you actually practice celibacy for six days, no masturbation, no release, on the seventh day, your testosterone levels temporarily double. And then wow, you keep doing that cycle. And that's the Japanese did that study for athletes. But it can okay. also bring back a man's arousal with his wife, and she needs to also enjoy the sensuality of some foreplay and some kissing and whatever. And it's kind of like meditation twice a day for 20 minutes, Sex at least once a day for 20 minutes and more so adventure the, twice a day. So the Taoists, there's a little bit of truth in their practices then, John. 
Oh, there's a huge amount of truth. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I have studied in China with the Taoist teachers, so I'm very proficient at orgasming without ejaculating. I yeah. never ejaculate anymore, but that's a more advanced stage, which you build up uh, over time. What happens is the semen builds up in your body and even a little arousal gives you, start giving you orgasms because you're not depleted of the semen. And so this is a gradual developmental process that if you practice this over time, that foreplay becomes orgasmic, orgasmic, orgasmic. And then, wow. you know, if you're still young, you can ejaculate once a week. But when you're my age, 67, why lose the energy when the orgasmic state is more fulfilling? You know, most people yeah. ejaculate, it's over, as opposed to being able to go on and on and on, feeling the love in your heart. And this is something you can't experience unless you love your partner. This is where monogamy is so key. Yes. And, and this is a choice, you know, people have make choices in their life. I, I've made that choice and was greatly fulfilled through it. Some people don't, but I'm not going to encourage them to feel all hurt and beat up about it and you're bad and leave and have a divorced family. Let's learn to find forgiveness, acceptance and see where yeah. people are and fulfill their needs. And if we can't, then that should be fulfilled elsewhere. And I think, you know, that's a great message, John, to finish on that if you put the time, effort, energy into developing these skills, and you obviously like have spent a lifetime doing it, and so have we, and it pays off, you get the rewards. Oh, it's, it's so rewarding. And you kind of brought about in your own life, the amount of confidence, sustained energy, lack of reactivity, lack of defensiveness, willingness to correct yourself midstream, all these things Even come about. Yeah. Even in the pace. Yeah, so, it's, so this is like, and what a gift it is to your children, for everyone as children. There's no better parenting skill than loving each other. And I wrote a whole book on children are from heaven, all these relationship skills with your children, but that's worthless if mom and dad are not loving each other. That's the greatest gift you can give your children is rise above your ego, rise above your demands, rise, rise above your pettiness so much of the time when you look back on these things and love each other. That your children, a little boy realizes, oh, mom can depend on dad. Oh, a little girl sees, oh, I can depend on men. Dad's a wonderful being. This is like so important and the vice versa. Mom's happy, then a little boy grows up going, oh, I can make mom happy. As opposed to an unhappy woman, you're growing up with her. All a little boy wants to do is make mom happy. And if she's not happy, then he gets the feeling of, oh, you can't make a woman happy. So yes. these are like such gifts to give to our children. And if you pass it down. And pass it down. And we are changing the world by doing that. That's going to change. So, John, I have to thank you so much. Like, I, I can just tell, you know, from your depth of knowledge, the information that you've got, we could be on here for three hours and probably not cover it all. So I think you've done a great job in, in covering it, you know, in the limited hour that we've had. So thank you so much for, for being here. For everybody that's listening, if you want to find out more about, you know, the knowledge and information that John's got. And supplements. And they're supplements. on your website, John. They're on the yep. website. Also, John's latest book, uh, Beyond Mars and Venus. You can find it on the website, marsandvenus.com. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to spend time with you guys. You're wonderful. It's been an honor to chat to you, John. Thank you. Thank you so much, John. Thanks for being here. Bye for now.